Bibles out if you brought your Bibles with you. If not, we usually have the verses on the screen overhead so you can follow along. But go ahead and find 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In just a moment, I'm going to be reading some passages from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Some of you know already that that's the great resurrection chapter that Paul writes about. It's amazing to me that despite not having walked with Jesus in his earthly ministry, that of all the apostles, Paul had the greatest revelation concerning who Christ was, what the cross meant, and the resurrection as well. Which just goes to show you that, that you can get up close to the master and be clueless. But yet you can have an experience or an encounter with him, and all of a sudden all of the heavens are open to you. And we've been talking here these last few weeks on the subject, what happened? You know, a lot of us know the stories of Jesus' life. A lot of us know the accounts of what took place, especially the last week of his life, which we call the Passion Week. We know that he came in triumphantly. We know that the tide of public opinion changed on him. We know that he was scourged. We know that he went to a cross and was crucified. We know that uh, he had a borrowed tomb. He was laid to rest. Three days later, he was resurrected. We know pretty much at large the information concerning the happenings of the life of Jesus. But the reason the American church in particular doesn't look much like the New Testament church with, with you know, all of its power and miracles and changed lives is because we haven't got the revelation. We got the information, but we didn't get the revelation. And there is a big difference between those two concepts. A lot of us have information. Right now, I would suspect all of you, to some extent, know the story, the information. You'll hear me say certain things, and you'll go, I know that, I've heard that before. And so you've got the information down, but that information has to ignite in you to become revelation for it to be any good. And, and so we've endeavored to just hang around this for a little bit. Instead of just sweeping through this week real fast, I wanted to hang around this, this week of Jesus' life just a little bit longer because it's the key to understanding your success or failure as a Christian. You see, there is no victory, there is no confidence, there is no overcoming of the world, there's no prevailing over sickness, there's no prevailing over disease, you can't get out of your bondage or your addictions unless you get a revelation of who Christ is and what he did. I'm just going to take a moment or two just to discourage you, but I promise you before it's over, you'll be encouraged. How many of you know that in the church, we divorce at the same rate as the world? We get sick at the same rate. We file bankruptcy at the same rate. There's a lot of things we do at the same rate as the world. There is no distinguishable difference at times between our lives and anyone else's life. Does it not surprise you as to why then the world would look at us and just simply say, well, what difference does it make? Why, why should I even consider it when it doesn't look like you're all that much different than I am. And so what we've done in the church is, instead of pursuing that distinguishable difference, we make bumper stickers that say, we're not perfect, we're just forgiven. 
And so the only thing we can say to the world is, the only difference between you and me is I'm forgiven. And they go, well, I don't feel guilty. Now, are we forgiven? Yes. Is that important? Extremely. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that we've just stopped there. And we've got to begin to press on past just the forgiveness doctrine and begin to understand that God himself envisioned something for your life more than probably what you're living. This finally just ignited in me that God looked at me and he said, Kevin, I've envisioned something for you that's beyond where you're at at this particular moment. I see something that you can't even see at this particular moment. I dream of things that you've not even begun to dream. I want this so badly for you. Do you want it? And there was something that rose up in me finally that said, yes, I want to be more than just forgiven. I want to be victorious. I want to be successful in you. I want to see the promises of God come to pass. I'd really like to see a little power come from time to time. I believe your word is true. I want that in my life. And you must want that in your life. And so once we get the full unveiling of who Christ is and who you can be in him, it'll change you forever. That's why the enemy, the world, that is why they are, they are so adept at covering your eyes to what you could be in him. Our eyes have been so covered. We think that if our senses are heightened, if something is titillating to the eyes or if something speaks to our flesh, or if something feels good to our body, then we think, ooh, that must be it. That's not it. Your senses are not it. Your senses are what keeps you back. It's when you overcome all this sense stuff and you understand that Christ did something inside of you that can cause you to arise in such a way that you can access something that will blow your mind, blow your feelings, blow your senses. It's called the kingdom. And you see, we just don't declare it anymore. So I'm going to declare it and call those things that be not as though they were. Amen. So let's read what Paul said a little bit about the resurrection here. That's just my introduction. Amen. It's been suggested I put seat belts in the seats, but we, we haven't done that yet. Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. This is what he says. He said, for I delivered to you... First of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep, or they've died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. Jump to verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men 
the most pitiable. And we've been talking about what happened, and this morning we're talking about what happened at the resurrection. The resurrection, no surprise to you, is the greatest event that has ever taken place. It's not just because a man was dead and came to life again. I, I, I'm going to, as I have all these past weeks, say things that, that at first I hope jolt you and then, and then you'll come back and find out I was right. But it's not just because a man was raised from the dead or a man came to life again. As amazing as that is, and I think all of us would be amazed at the resurrection of the dead, let's be honest. We can turn on our television sets and watch House and somebody will have died and they'll put the paddles on his chest and all of a sudden a dead man's heart will suddenly come alive again and it happens all the time in hospitals all over America. Is that not true? We just, we just watch a man or a woman die and we put the electricity on their chest and we just zap them to life again. And I've often wondered if because of our technology that sometimes we've lost some of the awe and some of the wonder with regards to resurrection. You know, in this day and age, to resurrect somebody from the dead, that was a big thing. Nowadays, it's not as if it wouldn't be a big thing, but our technology has caused some things to be somewhat familiar to us. But let me just say this. Despite our technology, the one difference in this resurrection than any other resurrection that may have taken place was that when Christ arose, he brought something to us that no one else could bring. Paul said these words. He said, if Christ is not risen. Now understand this, that, that we have focused for years on the risen part, and that's important. He was resurrected from the dead, literally, absolutely. But it says, if Christ is not risen, Christ rising from the dead had some significant, significant things that took place for you and me. In fact, he says, if he's not been risen then there are six ramifications. Let me just go down these real quick. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, these six things. The first, he says, is our teaching is futile. All that I have said to you, if you have been with me now through the years here at Legacy, everything that I've said to you, if Christ be not raised, is useless. It's ineffectual. You may think that I'm a, you know, a bag of hot air, <laughs> but I'll guarantee you, if Christ be not raised, then I am one. I'm just this big mouth teacher, preacher who just shoots his mouth off and there's, there's nothing that I have to say to you that is of any effect. Our teaching is futile. Number two, he says our faith is in vain. If our faith is in vain, then there's no possibility of change if he be not raised. There's no possibility of miracles. There's no possibility of accessing God. There's no possibility of victory. Our faith, our faith is everything when it comes to accessing supernatural activity in our life. And if he be not raised, then that's cut off and our faith is in vain. Number three, he says, we're liars. I guess Paul just got to the point. He says, the words that we speak, if he be not raised, are false. There's no truth here. What we say won't really work. We're just taking you for a ride, so to speak. Number four, he says that we're still in our sins. I've been teaching you these last week that uh, to be carnal or to be in our sins really is to be tied to your senses. Uh, unfortunately, the Bible uses certain terms that seem impractical to us. We don't get a handle on practically what they mean. But to be carnal is to be dominated by your senses. And if you're still in your sins, what that means is you're still dominated by your senses. 
Your eyes are easily distracted to that which is evil. Your ears are easily distracted to that which is evil. Your hands go to that which is evil. Your feet run to that which is evil. If Christ be not raised, then get used to it. Because your eyes and your ears and your feet and your hands and everything there is about you will be bound to your senses and and you'll be limited and, and you'll be bound to your rationalities and you'll be bound to your emotions and your feelings and and let me just say this and I know the women sometimes get the bad rap because they tend at times to be defined as the most emotional ones and so we men at times look at them and say oh get over your emotions well I'm a guy and I'll say it to the guys get over your logic because your logic won't get you into kingdom things you need to break some pencils And understand that the kingdom works by faith. It doesn't work by feeling and it doesn't work by all the rationality. I could go through the Bible and show you so many irrational things. And so all of us are bound by these things that we have to break out of. But the Bible says if Christ be not raised, get used to it. You will forever function in your logic and you'll never know supernatural power. You will forever be on the roller coaster ride of your emotions. And you will never know the stability and peace that can come if he be not raised. Number five, he says that if he be not raised, those who have died are gone forever. If you've buried a loved one and he be not raised, then they're nothing but ashes and dust right now. They sit in a grave alone. They biologically cease to exist and there's nothing more if he be not raised. And finally, number six, he says if Christ be not raised, we're to be pitied more than anyone else. Can you imagine living a life that simply says, I I live, I breathe, I do whatever life puts before me to do, and then I die and it's over and it's gone. What a pitiable life. What an absolute waste. Just by my mere existence, I believe there's got to be more. And all of this, Paul says, is truth if Christ is not risen. But it's interesting that he went to special lengths to remind us that the resurrection of Jesus was not a fairy tale. He goes to great lengths to begin to explain to us that this wasn't just something that sort of was a rumor in the breeze, but that it was attested to by people's very own eyesight. He says that there were over 500 people that saw him at one time or another, that even as he's writing to the Corinthians, he says most of them are still alive. You can talk to them. He says the apostles saw him themselves. He said, I saw a picture of the Lord before me as well. You need to get this in your spirit. Jesus wasn't seen by some little old lady on a street corner wearing bifocals, having Alzheimer's, and nobody really believed what she had to say anyway. You need to understand that he was seen by literally thousands. I'll guarantee you tens of thousands of Jews went to that empty empty sepulcher and stuck their head in there and looked at those grave clothes neatly folded there where he was laid. And they came out of that sepulcher beating their chest saying it was true, it was true, it was true. When Peter stood in the streets of Jerusalem at Pentecost and he said, you killed him and he was raised and now you must repent and get right and the Lord of glory will come in. They were well prepared for that preaching moment. Well prepared. It was all over town. It was a buzz. Tens of thousands of people saw that empty tomb. And the Bible tells us in Romans 8.29. In fact, I want to read a couple of these passages. Forgive me for... Jumping around here for just a minute, Romans 8.29 says this. 
It says, meaning the Father, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, meaning Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know what that verse means? It means Jesus was the prototype of what was to come. Jesus was the first fruit of that which would begin to take place. And uh, it's interesting, in 2 Peter now, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3. I've mentioned this before, 2 Peter 1, verse 3. It says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So here we find Peter saying that Jesus... First off, uh, Paul said Jesus was a first fruit. Now, Peter says that this divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we've been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Isn't that good? I told you we'd get to good stuff here. Can you say amen? I've got a promise. You've got a promise. Come on now, get that in your spirit. God's got things so big for you, so incredible exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think he's got a promise for you you got to get that inside of you he died in order that you might not have to he he died in order that you might not live under the burden and the dominion of sin and sense he died in order to lift you out of that stuff in order that you could have a promise and it says that this power came to give us these great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature Every time I read that, I just, I just say, man, that boggles my mind. If you said yes to Jesus, listen, I have. For those that have said yes, they're inside of me right now, is his nature. Isn't that incredible? His nature is inside of me. And his nature got inside of me, number one, because not only I watched how he lived, number two, it's not only because I embraced that he died for my sins, it's not only number three, that he went to hell and back in order to retrieve everything that was lost, but it's also because I've embraced the whole package, he was raised from the dead, and because that power is in the earth today, and I've opened up myself to say, I want it, come inside of me, his nature is in me. His nature is in you. I understand right now you're going, well, if his nature's in me. I sure hadn't seen it. I understand, and that's your problem, not his. See, the reason it ain't coming out of me isn't his problem. It's my problem. It's because I'm dumb as a doornail sometimes. Ignorant. Just clueless. I don't want to be that. His nature is in me. The resurrection power, it's in there. You can't see it. It's there. It's in you. Twirling around, spinning around, waiting to be unlocked in order that it can find its expression through you in the earth, which is why it says in Romans 8, right about uh, verse 18, that all of creation groans and utters groanings, anxiously awaiting the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God. This world is waiting for some of us to finally let it out. They're saying, come on, I'm tired of looking at the bumper stickers that say you're forgiven and that's what supposedly makes you different than me. I'm waiting to see somebody live it different. 
Live it in their character. Live it in their power. Live it in their decision making. Live it in every aspect of their life. Their family, their marriage, their job. Every arena of life. They're waiting for somebody to rise up and no longer be just a mere man or a mere woman. They are waiting for sons and daughters. Those that have the right to access kingdom power. Man, I'm telling you. That charges me up. I mean, it's like I'm Rambo. You've been hearing this now for weeks. You can't stop me. You know why? It's because he's in there. And he's in you too. Amen. So that's why the resurrection is important. Because it's a part of all of what he has provided in, in order for us to be that which he has desired and called us and wants us to be. So how are we like our risen Lord? Let's, let's talk about how, how are we like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. Listen to this. It says here, again, he was made, he, excuse me, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Now we have belabored this point. I beat you on this point. If you, don't, if you haven't memorized 2 Corinthians 5.21, shame on you. Because we have just, we have ridden this horse until you may be tired of it, but we're going to say it one more time. He substituted himself for us. He was made sin. Everybody say made. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't figurative. It wasn't represent, representative. It wasn't, it wasn't somehow just allegorical. He literally, literally was made sin. Isaiah 53 says that. Literally made sin. Now listen, this is important because if we substitute, then what does that mean I've become? I, I've not just been declared righteous, not just spoken righteous, that certainly is true, but there's more to it than that. If he took upon literally my sins, that means I received upon myself literally his righteousness. Now, I'm telling you, man, this will blow your mind. And, and, and we need to understand that that when we were dead in trespass and sin and, and, and threw it upon him and then he became literally dead in trespass and sin. Am I not right? He died with my trespass and sin. He died with your trespass and sin. So he literally died in trespass and sin. But then suddenly, we talked last week about going into the bowels of the earth. But then on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday morning, he was raised up into newness of life. The glory of God was released from him. And so the resurrection, I believe, is a picture of what it means to be twice born, born again. In Colossians 1, chapter 13. Again, I'm just reading the Bible. You read the Bible, it'll screw you up every time. Colossians chapter 1. Listen to this. Just hear what he says. It says that he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or transferred to us, methostami is the Greek, he literally transferred to us, he wired it, Western Union, he got it to us in our hands, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. There it is, there's your bumper sticker, you can feel happy now. The forgiveness of sins. But he goes on to say, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. Listen, the firstborn. If you're firstborn, that means there's coming a secondborn and a thirdborn. And a one thousandth born. And a one millionth born. He is the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he may have the preeminence. And when we embrace him, there is a miracle that begins to happen inside of us that is more, that is more than just relief from your guilt. There is an activation of being a firstborn. That which is bringing you out of death. And the discouragement and the destruction and the bondages and all the other junk we face, you are brought out of that into newness of life. Amen. Something's happening in you. We got to declare this stuff. We got people coming down front, raising hands, praying prayers, filling out cards, and there's no difference. And it's tragic when it could be different. They want it to be different. It's not totally their fault. Some of it's our fault because it's not been declared. You don't get anything unless you declare it. And I'm just starting to declare that you can be a new person. Amen. New. Brand new. Now, I'm going to tell you three things. Everybody say amen. It's only three. I'm not giving you ten things. I'm giving you three things. That that miraculously happen in this new life. When you begin to, to, to get a revelation of what all of this means, what begins to happen. Number one is this. You are recreated into another person. Recreated into another person. I'm going to make an incredible statement that is backed up by the word, and it's this. Christianity is more than just a spiritual miracle. I'm not against spiritual things. I'm actually quite for them. But we've spiritualized everything to such a degree it becomes no earthly good. It is more than just a spiritual miracle. But listen to me. I I don't understand it. It is somewhat of a mystery to me. But I'm going to go ahead and say it because I believe the word warrants it. It is actually, when, when you contact Christ, something happens and biologically something shifts. Something's different. Yeah, it does. You think different. You start to act different. You start to believe different. I mean, something inside of you gets, gets changed. 2 Corinthians, again, that same, that same passage, chapter 5, it's such a great passage. He says in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, if you have the New Spirit-Filled Life Bible, NKJV, from Thomas Nelson Publishing, it's got a word wealth in here. It helps me from having to go relearn all my Greek. It's just real helpful. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says the word new, kainos. Listen to this means new, unused, fresh, novel. The word means new in regard to form or quality, rather than new in reference to time. What it means is this, that when you meet Christ, you aren't all of a sudden changed from a 50-year-old to a 20-year-old. That would be nice. 
That's marketable right there. I'm here to tell you. You could, you could market that. And all the ladies said, amen. I know, ladies, you're saying, amen. I'd be a Christian like that, boy, I tell you. You take these wrinkles off. I mean, get me back to when I was 20. I was. That's not what new means. I wish. But it does say that there's a new quality, a new form. If you follow its etymology, the Greek literally means something that has never existed before. So when you become a new creation, you suddenly become something that has never existed before. You are recreated into a son, into a daughter. And we don't declare that, which is why we don't see it anymore. We literally have received his nature and his resurrection glory has invaded in our lives. I mean, when you come in contact with Jesus, can you really walk away the same person? It's interesting, under an old covenant, the Bible tells us that you were covered with the blood. Under a new covenant, it says now you're cleansed by the blood. Under an old covenant, the Bible tells us that righteousness was imputed to you. What that means is, is that God declared or he said, well, I'm going to look at you. I'm just going to look at you differently. From this point forward, I'm going to look at you differently and I'm going to impute righteousness to you. So despite the fact you hadn't changed any, I'm just going to declare you righteous. That's old covenant. Under a new covenant, it says this. It says that righteousness has been imparted to us. In other words, it's not that just God just sees us different. We are different. That's the difference between old and new covenant understanding. And once the, the change happens, that's when the glory... See, we don't understand glory. We hear about the glory of the Lord and we think of Indiana Jones, you know, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, and all we know is this lightning stuff happened. The glory of the Lord, the Shekinah, the Kabod, the glory of the Lord is what begins to come inside of you, and, and it's the glory that changes you. You know, this just dawned on me. This was, this was kind of new, maybe wasn't new to you, but it's kind of been new to me. It's kind of been exciting. Because sometimes through the years, I have scratched my head. Now listen to this, because I, you know, I, I, you can't help but just, you know, you watch Christian television, you kind of look at church life, you, you kind of see all that God's doing and all the different churches and this and that and the other. And, and one of my greatest struggles has been this. Why is it that there are men of God and women of God who... who don't have an ounce of character. They, 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 they don't have an ounce of character in their bones. But yet it still appears as if God uses them and maybe miracles happen and maybe some supernatural things. And that has been the one stumbling point for me through the years because I just hadn't quite gotten a hold of all that. I wanted to know, I know the book of Romans says that the gifts of God are without repentance, which means that once gifts are activated in your life, you can go and be in the most egregious of sins and the gifts will still work. Which tells you, you better be careful that you're following somebody who's got the goods and not just the gifts. Are you hearing me? Because just because they got a few gifts rolling doesn't mean they got it all together. But I still, I said, well, Lord, that just still doesn't seem quite right. I mean, that's, I mean, I get granted, it's your kingdom, you do it with what you want. And then suddenly it dawned on me. Listen to me. The gifts come and all the gifts can do, you see if I'm not right in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you see if I'm not right. When the gifts come, they can encourage you, they can edify you, they can uplift you, they can amaze you, they can do some 
wonderful things for you. And everybody will stand and they'll clap and praise God. And, and wasn't that an amazing gift that took place? But listen to me. This is what the Lord showed me. As, as those things have their place in the body, a gift can't transform you. Listen to me. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says that when the Spirit of God comes and His glory begins to be unveiled, that it says we are all transformed from glory, what? To glory. I'm beginning to see that the gifts and the glory can look almost exactly alike at times. A man under the gifts and a man under the glory to the natural eye will look almost the same. To the natural eye, you'll say to yourself, I don't see the difference between this person and that person. I, I don't see any difference. And indeed, in practicality, with the natural eye, you won't see much difference. You'll see miracles spring from both. But the difference is that when the guy with the gifts is all said and done, and he wraps it all up, and it's time to go, everybody cheered, and they yelled, and they screamed, and they had a good time, but ain't nobody changed. But when the glory shows up, when the glory is released, all of a sudden metamorpho takes place. I was this and now I'm this. You see, you can walk out of here one of two ways. You can walk out of here transformed or you can walk out of here just an encouraged sinner. You'll be encouraged as can be and still go back to your dysfunctionality. You'll be encouraged. You're still going to get a divorce, but you're encouraged. Praise God. You're built up, but you're still doing your drugs. Oh, yeah, man. I was, I was so encouraged. I was, I, was, I was so edified. But God knows I, I still go on my emotional roller coaster ride. Are, are you done with just getting encouraged and are you ready to be transformed? Now, hear me. You'll be encouraged anyway because you'll actually be changing. And you were recreated into another person. Amen. I don't want to be who I was. If I walk into one of my old friends from 30 years ago, I want them to look at me and say, Who are you? Who are you? You're right. I'm not the same person. I'm a little embarrassed by who I was. I mean, I don't want to walk into someone and say, Oh, you had not changed any. No, but I am forgiven. Amen. Number two. You were recreated into another person. Number two, you have released to you God life. God life. Now, in this world, there's, there's what I'll call metal life. M-E-T-A-L, metal life. There's vegetable life. There's animal life. There's human life. But there is God life. John 10.10, remember we started with this. The thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that they might have what? Life. What? Life. Say it again. Life. I have come that they might have life and that more abundantly. The word zoe. Zoe life. It is more than biologically existing, but but. Well, you know, you've, you've seen people, they function biologically, but they ain't living. I mean, there are people who breathe, their heart beats, they get up, go to work, do all the things that life, natural life entails for them to do, but they ain't living. 
There's no sense of life. They're, they're depressing. They're, they're discouraging. They're going through the motions. There's, there's no life inside of them. They're not alive. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he was more than biologically functioning again. Do you get that? It wasn't that God just said, arise, my son, and he jumps up, and now he's biologically functioning again. It was more than that. Yes, he functioned biologically, but he was full of God life. And the essence of God life really is love, and it's hope, and it's joy, and it's peace. The natural man, it's interesting if you just study people. I, you know, I get to fly quite frequently, and it's amazing. I love to sit in airports. My wife will attest to this. I'll sit in airports, and, and she'll go back and, and, and sit, you know, kind of in all the seats. But I like to sit in the ones to watch the people go by. You can just watch a cross-section of humanity go by, and it's better than a movie. I mean, you watch and you look what people wear to get on a plane. I mean, you're going, my God, I wouldn't wear that into the next room. I mean, amazing things. I mean, they look, I mean, they, they, they think they're all that, and they obviously don't have a mirror at their house, and they... I mean, it's just amazing to watch people go by. They're lost, and they're looking around. and they, I mean, it's, to see that cross-section of life watching, watching people. But, but it's interesting that as you watch people, and as you begin to watch people function out of the natural man, it's amazing, because you can ask whether they'd be born again, a Christian, or whether they're just a natural man and, and not receive the Lord. You can ask anybody in the world if they love, or have you ever been in love? And, and most people will say, well, yeah, I, I think I understand what love is. But the natural man has defined love in terms of only being a refined selfishness. I'm, I'm, I'm selfish. I want what I want when I want. I want you as long as you look right, meet my need, yanny, yanny, yeah, then, we'll, then I love you. That's not God-type love. We think love is attached to what makes our senses feel good. I'm telling you, your senses get you in more problems than you can count. And that's why God says you can have them and, and, and enjoy them to an extent righteously, but more than that, you need to let your inner man come out and begin to live by the Spirit. God life is the ability to exist and live for things beyond yourself. I'm here to tell you that if you're selfish your whole life long, it will never satisfy. But when you give yourself away to people, when you do things that, that can't be recompensed, when you just live... Uh, without you being the center of the universe, there's something in there that brings satisfaction. That's God life. Jesus laid his life down, not just because he got something out of it, but why did he lay his life down? It's because he saw you and me. He saw what we could be. He saw the exceeding precious promises. He saw your destiny. He saw your future. He saw what was possible. And he said, I'm willing to lay my life down. I love you that much. I'll lay my life down. And because he did that, he entered into something supernaturally unexplainable once and for all that ignited something in us that enabled us to go forward. I'm telling you, when you embrace that, the same thing will happen. A lot of times it happens as parents. We'll look at our children. We'll want the best for them. We'll lay our lives down for them. We'll spend what we can in order to get their future. And there's something in the heart of a good parent when he sees his son or his daughter begin to achieve great things that says, that's why I laid my life down for them. That's God life. That satisfies. I could go on with that, but I can tell you right now, there are certain things I've watched in my children that if you were, if you were to shoot me now and send me home, I can tell you right now, I, 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 there's a satisfaction in here that exists because of what God's
been able to do through that. So you have released to you God life. And finally, number three. I know it wasn't ten points, but I didn't promise you it wouldn't, you know, be short. So it's just three long points instead of ten short ones. Number three. This is the great one. Are you ready? When you embrace all that he did at the resurrection, you receive the spirit of a conqueror. Ha! A conqueror. You have become substituted with him. So now you are an overcomer. You become a master of your circumstances. You become triumphant in all things. You are no longer being tossed to and fro, but you are the one that is the anchor and that is stable. You're not the one letting the circumstance or the situation bat you around, but you're the one looking at your circumstances saying, peace be still. Hallelujah. You receive the spirit of a conqueror. Listen to what he says. I just, I just love how Paul puts it. 1 Corinthians 15, 53. He says this, for corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption and the mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, or O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us, everyone say that's me, who gives us the victory. Yeah! He gives me the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I've told you a testimony and I'm just about done. I, I remember the snowy February night that I went to an altar in 1978 on a Sunday evening and I draped myself over the mourner's bench after resisting God for months and saying, I'll never do that, I'll never go down front. I'll never cry. You'll never get me there. I'm just here because I got to be here to date this girl. And it wasn't Tracy at the time. All right. Just to, but I got to be here if I'm going to take her out because she's making me go to church. But there ain't no way you're going to get me down there and go through all. I'd watched it. I knew what they did. But how many of you know the Holy Ghost shows up? And you find out real quick that he'll be a gentleman for about... Five months, 29 days. But it's that 30th day of the sixth month on a Sunday night that he says, I'm done being a gentleman. And he started working in me and, and godly conviction settled in. And all of a sudden, all the things that I said I'd never do, I'm sitting there going, I don't want to, I don't want to. But this whole thing is just moving through me until finally I'm bargaining. The whole way I'm bargaining with God. Well, okay, you're right. I probably need to get right with you, God. And so I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go down there, but I'm not going to cry. I'll tell you that. Okay, I'll go down. And I get there and hit my knees, and it's a two-nostril alert. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a mess. And I'll never forget... That at that moment, I knew when I stood up, something had changed. Something was different. And so I knew this just wasn't. See, I wasn't trying Jesus. I was, I was saying, here's my life. And something got recreated inside of me. There was, there was a new life. It was different. It was, I can't explain it. It was sure it was experience. What's wrong with experience? All of us like experience. That's why you're tied to your senses. You want to smell nice things and see nice things and hear nice things and touch and run and all the things you do. It's amazing to me how people say religion is so emotional, but they'll walk out that door and they'll find emotional things to do 
for 24-7 the rest of the week. But I don't want my religion emotional. You're just a liar. You are a liar. You want an experience. You wouldn't want... Get rid of your cable if you don't want an experience. Don't go to the movies if you don't want an experience. You won't ever go to a ball game if you aren't going for the experience. I mean, when that, when that you know, space odyssey, bomb, 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 and you're at that USC Gamecock game and they start doing the timpanies and everybody's raising their hands, you'd have thought you're at a Pentecostal camp meeting at that moment at Williams-Brice Stadium. I look around and I go, I'm with Pentecostals. Oh, but you do that in church and somehow or another you're out of order. But I remember when that happened to me and I mean, my spirit was recreated. God life came in. But the one thing that didn't happen because the group that I was a part of at that time didn't teach this, didn't have the revelation of it, didn't really share it with me. And I lived in such failure and, and defeat and condemnation and guilt for years because they never told me I could conquer. I could conquer. There is nothing that can come before me that with Him I cannot get through. In the name of the great theologian Diana Ross, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough. I can conquer. I can conquer through my trial. I can conquer through my temptations. I can, I can conquer through the sins that so easily beset me. I can conquer. I can conquer sickness and disease. I can conquer the mental torment. I can conquer my discouragement. I can conquer my depression. I can conquer. In fact, the Bible says I am more than a conqueror. More. Doesn't that just blow your mind? And I'm going to leave you with this and then I'm done. Well, I got 30 more minutes here. I don't have to. <laughs> just joking. This, this is, this is, because I said, Lord, give me something fresh to just say to the people this morning. Maybe you've heard all this, you know all this. This is Christianity 101 to you. But this is what, I felt like the Spirit of the Lord specifically said, tell my people this. It dawned on me as I was just meditating again on the whole resurrection account. That when Christ arose, he didn't arise 50 miles from Jerusalem. He didn't arise in some other location, but he arose in the midst of the very people that had killed him. He arose in the midst of his enemies. And the Holy Spirit said, you tell my people this. That it is time for them to stop running. To go find the resurrection somewhere else. It's time to stop running to think they're going to find it over here, over there, or over that hill, or there yonder. He says, I'm going to raise up a people in the midst of their enemies. I'm going to put God life into them. I'm going, to, I'm going in the midst of the very people that wanted to kill them and get rid of them. I'm going to raise them up in newness of life, in power, and they will conquer. Conquer. Hallelujah. Boy, that's worth yelling about, isn't it? 
I'm prophesying to you right now. Some of you have been buried. You've been buried by people who said it's over. It'll never be any different. You've been buried by people who thought they could get rid of you by doing this or that or the other. You've been buried. You've been buried by circumstances. You've, you've faced your personal crucifixions and you've faced your own personal hell and, and you've been buried and they've locked you up and they put the stone over it and they wiped off their hands and they said, there, we're done with it. I prophesy to you that you get a hold of the risen one and he will raise you right out of that. Yes, he will. He isn't going to give you a bumper sticker. He's going to change the very essence of who you are. You won't need a bumper sticker. I'm prophesying to some of you right now. You're at the right place, at the right time, at the right moment, and all God is waiting for you is to say, I embrace it all. I embrace it all. And at that moment, nature, divine nature, ignites. And suddenly the works that he did, you shall do. And greater works than these. Suddenly, Paul says, you will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to the power that works in you. I believe the Bible's true. I'm taking it out, not for a test drive. I'm taking it out for the final drive. I'm staking my life on it. I, you say, are you there yet? No, I can't say that I'm there in all things, but I'm going to get there. And you just stay where you are and watch me get there. And you'll watch an, a whole a whole generation of people get there. He will have that people. I believe that with all of my heart. He will have that people. The power of the resurrection. It wasn't just putting paddles to his chest and going, it was raising him up to release life that would beget thousands upon millions of new creatures. I, 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 I want to be one, and, and, and I declare I am one. How about you? How about you? Hey, stand with me, will you, for just a moment? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want everyone just to stand for a minute. I want you to close your eyes. Please, if you can keep from doing it, please don't walk around. I promise I won't, I won't belabor the point for coming to an end. But I want you to just allow the Holy Spirit right now who's in this place. We've prayed this morning and, and we've just stood confidently that the Holy Spirit is in this place. And he's the one that brings, that brings uh, reality to what we've been talking about. He is in charge right now of doing what I can't do. Because I'm just a, a human being. And I can't reach in your heart. I can't get into your inner man. I, I cannot do the work now that needs to be done. But he can. And so I want you just to stand for a moment and close your eyes. And I want you to begin to meditate on, on Christ's life. On the scourgings and the passion week that brought him to the place of a cross. To where he took upon himself... The sins of all, you and me. He was buried. He went actually to the devil's own territory, to the bowels of the earth, to Hades itself, to recover everything that had been lost. And he came out of that tomb, resurrected, a conqueror, leading his people in that same conquering spirit. 
Perhaps this morning you would say to yourself, you know, I, I've, I've used the label Christian and, and I, I know the story. I've got the information, but to be candid with you, I don't know that my life's really been changed or transformed. You know, I've reached the place now, I've pastored so many years, that I quit debating doctrine with people. I, if, if it's a doctrinal debate you want, don't, don't even start with me. Because your doctrine's only as good as the fruit it produces. And if what you had believed or thought you believed, if it didn't get in you to where the Bible says you ought to be, then, then the truth of the matter is, then maybe something needs adjusted there. So you tell me I'm not saved, I'm not telling you anything. I'm just telling you if you signed up for something that you ain't getting, then maybe it's time to get your name on a different list. That's where it was for me. I've walked away from the friends of a lifetime because I decided there was a reality that I wanted to experience, to know, to live in that was more important and worth more to me than whoever it was that couldn't handle me going that direction. Let me tell you something. God's grown up so many wonderful friends around me. I've lost a few and some of it's been hard. But I tell you what, he's always given me back wonderful, precious people that have looked at me and I've looked at them and together we've looked at each other and said, we're going for it. We're going for it. We sing those old songs, though, though none go with me, still will I follow. Those old hymns and we sang them and we just thought it was all about being martyred. And, but I'm telling you, what it's about is pursuing those great and precious promises. I want you to come. I, if I could come down here and do this for you, I would. But that's one thing I can't do. I, I want good things for you. But now the time has come whether you, you accept the fact that you want that for yourself. So here's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to pray. Father, I ask you right now by your spirit to move into people's hearts. And just, Lord, let your love that flows out of your life begin to invade this place. You love people. We love people. And, and Lord, help them to know right now that they don't have to get cleaned up to this place. But Lord, right now they can bring their mess and their dysfunctionality and their embarrassments and all the things that, Lord, they've accrued and they don't have to hide anymore. But they can put it under the light and you can cleanse it by your blood. And, 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 and Lord, they can see all those things, old things, pass away and suddenly all things will become new. Lord, I believe because we've declared it that you're going to change people today. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, this is what we're praying for. I'm praying for change. Something's got to change. You'd say that. Something's got to change in my life. I want something to change. Only God can do that. But if you'll put feet to your face, I believe he'll meet you there. We have seen changed lives. We have. We, I've seen people. I, I, we, I've got a guy I could drag up here and tell you right now, he was addicted he was an alcoholic, and he's not had it for three years. He's a changed person. I can tell you people right now that have experienced divorce and heartache, and, and they've arisen, and they've gone on, and God's blessing them and opening doors and prospering them. I could bring them up here to you this morning. Listen, you don't have to listen to the story. You can be the story. But here's the point. You have to, do, you have to be kind of like I was on that snowy February night where I was going, I really don't want to do this. I, I said I wouldn't do this. I said I don't. I, I, I just let go. It'll be the best thing. And in these last moments, I'm only going to take now, I, this, this should be a 30-second decision. But with our heads bowed and our eyes closed right now, if that's what you'd like, I need a change in my life right now. I'm going to step out and say, Lord, that's me. I'm, I'm ready to be rearranged and changed.
You come on right now. If that's you right now. You aren't even the. You can't be the first. Someone's beat you down here already. If that's you, just come on. I need change. Another one's coming. How about it? We're going to take just a minute. This is what we do. It's not to put people on the spot. It's to give them an opportunity to change. If that's you, come on. Yeah, they're coming. I got two more coming. You're not. You're not going to be the only one. How about it? I'm tired. I'm tired of living what doesn't work. I'm ready to give myself away to that which will work for all eternity. I'd wait all afternoon for you if I could, but I can't. If you're coming, come now. Come now. Holy Spirit, I've watched you do this through the years. You're working with people right now. Holy Spirit, woo them in these last moments. We love them. You love them. You care so deeply for them. And you want the best for them. Help them right now, Lord. Help them right now. See, I close my eyes and one has come. I'm going to keep my eyes closed and I believe another will come. Come on. Holy Spirit, do this work right now. He's knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, see, that's your part. You've got to hear and you've got to open. He isn't going to kick the door down. How about it? Just these last moments and I'm almost done. Come on, don't wait me out. These last moments and then we're going to pray. Then we're going to pray. I'm going to ask right now those that can help those guys that I work with and the ladies that Tracing, Trace specifically works with just come down. We're going to gather in down here. Just come on. We're going to gather in. Can we give the Lord a big hand this morning? Isn't that good? Resurrection life. Resurrection life. Amen. And guys, I just want you to put, lay a hand on these, these folks. Ladies, put your hand on the ladies and guys, put your hand on the guys and and, and just love them and let them feel a touch. And I know that's a human hand on the back of, you know, your back or your shoulder right now. I know that's a human hand. But imagine, imagine righteously, that's the hand of God for you right now. The hand of God for you. God's touching you. And everyone together, I want everyone in the congregation, I want all of our voices lifted up right now. We're going to do this together. So join me, will you please, everyone. Say, Heavenly Father... I come to you in Jesus' name. I confess now all waywardness, my sins, my imperfections. I desire change, transformation. I've sensed your glory, and I believe it's come to change my life. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. The resurrected Lord. He demonstrates to me all that I can be. And I believe that you have great and precious promises. And as I confess now, you taking my sin, I receive your righteousness. And I believe at 1142... On Resurrection Sunday morning, I am being changed from glory to glory. Old stuff is gone. All things are becoming new. I believe it. Let it work in me and continue in me all the days of my life. I, 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 I apprehend it in the name of Jesus. So be it and amen. Let's give the Lord a great big hand, can we right now?
Alléluia. Alléluia. And guys, I know you're down here. There may be, people may turn around and they'll want to know your name and they may get a little information because we want you to succeed in this. So they're going to keep praying with you and talking with you. So guys, make sure you make contact. But congregation, isn't Jesus just the best? Isn't he good? Now, this week, it's like it's spring break. But how many of you know we're never on break from the kingdom? And maybe you're going to be on the road like I am, or maybe you're hanging around town. Maybe you're going to see family or family's coming to you. Maybe you're going to be with friends. I don't know what your week holds for you, but I'm here to declare to you, you can be a different person going to that, whatever it may be, this week. Amen. Let's be sure we're doing our part to connect with people and love people. And and I'm going to see you next Sunday. And next Sunday, listen to me, the ascension. Ooh. The ascension. If you thought it's been good up to this point, you just wait till you hear about the ascension. Amen. Father, bless your people. Lord, let them do great exploits all through the week. Let them sense your power and your nature working inside of them this week. Lord, I bless them with the best week of their life because it is you inside of them who gives them the victory. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. God bless you. Love each other. Fellowship. You're released, and I'll see you next Lord's Day. God bless you.